Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I am Zach. Adam, how are you on this fine, fine day? I am pumped for some action-packed adventures today. That's what I am. I think you and I can both agree that Jack Kirby, the king, his work on X-Men is not among his best. No, no, it, it's definitely not uh, his priority. It's like the no. Sentinel design is good. Sure. Yeah, there's some fun stuff happening there. But Juggernaut you know. ends up having a good design, but Kirby didn't have that much to do with that. Yeah, you get the idea that Kirby was working on too much at that time, and th- that's exactly what it was. You think but... Jack Kirby would overwork himself? <laughs> you know what? What I was surprised was to learn that Jack Kirby did a whole run on cable. I mean, that <laughs> he just time traveled into the future and did that, and, and that's so cool. A very, very cable thing to do. No, no, actually, uh, this week we are talking about uh, Jose Ladron's work on cable as an artist, uh, which we've talked about, I believe, one issue before, but it was a text issue, more or less. Like, it was a, not full text, but it was not a standard sequential comic. Yeah, was that in, when we were talking about the 12, I want to say? Uh, or, or I don't remember. I, I forget what the arc was. No, it was a it was a one shot that goes over all of Cable's history. Oh, right. It's when we did it's it's when we did the episode where we covered all the stories that just cover all the X Men's history. Yeah. Oh, that was okay. Um, we make weird choices, Adam. That's a no. weird episode to do. No, it's not. But uh, this this is maybe uh, a forgotten or uh, often overlooked era. So uh, who whose request is this? Oh, this is the request of Patreon supporter Graham Hayward. Graham went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, reached deep down to his hearts and pocketbooks, tossed a couple of coins into our coffers, Adam, and said, folks, love what you're doing over at the ComicsXF. Uh, think it's great. Think you're doing it. Just a real bang-up job. Love the podcast. Would love to hear you talk about Cable 48 through 43, The Hellfire Hunt. Yeah, the Hellfire Hunt. And, um, you know, maybe before we start talking about these three stories today, it would probably be a good idea just to describe Ladron's style because we are calling it Kirby-esque, which uh, it is. It has some of those hallmarks, you know. These dudes look like big jacked dudes like Jack Kirby does. Like, you know how all Jack Kirby guys are just like a square of raw power? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty in. That's uh, his figure work, I think. Especially his cable and his faces are also somewhat Kirby esque. You know, the smaller nose, the wider mouth, the sort of rectangle faces uh, that you might see with the rounded edges. So all of those style hallmarks you're probably familiar with, but Ladrone's art is a little bit different. Um, and, and one of the ways that he differentiates himself is that he puts a lot of energy, especially into splash pages, into his backgrounds. Um, so he's, he's got a lot of uh, Jean Girard, a lot of Mobius. In yeah, there. maybe a little Jeff Darrow, you know, like he's interested when he gets into machinery or, you know, um, 
like one of the characters is an office setting. He's interested in plugging in all these little details. So um, that gives you a little sense of what we're talking about. It's not a style that I think most people associate with this character. Would you be would you be shocked to find out that Ladron uh, did work on Inkal? Um, no, that that makes perfect sense. Jodorowsky, yeah, yeah. Ladron rules. I can I can imagine because this is the first. This is Hellfire hunts the first arc of this mm-hmm. uh, cable. Well, it's not the first arc of James Robinson's cable, which is interesting because James Robinson was doing stuff in Operation Zero Tolerance. Mm-hmm and a bit before then, but I can imagine if you're going from being a cable reader, yeah, <laughs> jumping into this run, you're going to be scratching your head a small amount and trying to figure out what this is. Cause this is not Fabian Nicieza's cable. No. And, and stylistically, you know, art wise, this is a huge departure from, artists that were definitely copying the sort of image style, you know, we're, we're not talking about an Ian Churchill here. So, um, you know, the other thing that really separates this out is that this is a story with a brand new, uh, sidekick that we've never seen before in Irene Merriweather, um, a, an aspiring tabloid journalist who, works for, you know, a, a sort of a trashy rag and has aspirations to work for the Daily Bugle one day. I think this uses the Marvel Universe very well, and I don't know if James Robinson intended it to be, but I do think it's beautiful that her aspirations are the Daily Bugle, which is also the New York Post. Like, the Daily Bugle <laughs> was just the New York Post, and then they needed a newspaper, and they had, that, what's his name, Why, Ben Yurick. They had Ben Yurick writing for him, and he was good. Right. Like, that's what the bugle's supposed to be. So she's going from, like, well, it's not a tablet. It is a, legally, it's a real newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Like, but... they may still look down on it. It's not the Times. <laughs> but what's what's really great about this is that her editor is assigning her uh, this random fact-finding mission to dig up some dirt on somebody that they cannot do any fact-checking on, and that is Sebastian Shaw. And... This is such a really fun start to this because we have Irene going to all of her sources and asking questions and realizing very quickly that this was a very bad idea. And Irene is no longer in the world of tabloid journalism. She is in a straight up action movie as hellfire goons descend from the sky on like these little sky sleds and start trying to blow her up. The sky, the sky sleds are, they are just Jack Kirby fourth world things that's uh, all they rocks. are totally rocks because who comes like, and saves her go. cable let's go cable with a very legitimate come with me if you want to live moment oh yeah 100 percent um and so irene is now tagging along as we get into this uh this journey this globe hot trotting journey uh to get to the bottom of what it is that sebastian shaw and uh donald pierce are hiding and uh it's a lot of fun but yeah because donald pierce uh is in this it turns out you know how donald pierce is a cyborg yes i love this little like i don't know if you would call this a retcon but this little tidbit is fun yeah uh donald pierce who was who's always been a cyborg it turns out cable made him a cyborg (laughs) right he was the first person to like take a piece of him yeah so he doesn't like cable he thinks of cable as his arch enemy 
uh, which is very funny. It's great because Cable is like, I, sure, you're not. Like, I don't. I, I. You have to understand. I've maimed so many people. I. I cannot keep track. I'm Cable. Yeah, I'm the Ascani son. And this really does lean into the Ascani son stuff because this is. I think this more than a lot of stuff, like raises the stakes on. Yeah, Cable versus Apocalypse is going to be a big thing and it feels more mythic than I think anything else in the nineties beyond what things like, uh, uh, adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Sure. Did. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're really starting to amp up this idea that they are, you know, generational centuries old adversaries and that, uh, cable is out is his sole purpose is to stop, uh, apocalypse because, the thing that they are trying to stop is um, this sort of, I don't know, what, how would you describe this? What is in this magic box that uh, Apocalypse Sebastian has Shaw a magic is box. Sebastian Shaw and the Shaw family through time has been taking care of this for Apocalypse. And he told Donald Pierce that if he wants to get back in the Hellfire Club, he has to, he has to open this magic box. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and what it is, is the Harbinger, Harbinger of Apocalypse. It's, a dude that Apocalypse grabbed after the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and threw him into a celestial coffin and made him this programmer who's going to judge the world. Like yeah, it's it's pretty celestial uh, style. Yeah, it's very celestial. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down stuff. I think the timing of it is it is it it's further adventures, right? Where he, uh, yes. Where he yes. Further, further adventures is where he grabs one of, uh, Nathaniel X's sewer people and throws <laughs> them into a coffin. Right. So, uh, you know, this whole thing wraps up in, uh, what is it? Issue 53, I think where we, yes. we get cable, you know, sort of, they open this thing and it's cool. Now in the midst of this, there is uh, a weird thing where they stay at the home of a guy who turns out to be master man, a former yeah. Nazi. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that happen right around 50, at 51. Uh, it switches from James Robinson writing it to Joe Casey. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 52, uh, Herman Garcia, who's a fantastic artist, uh, and one of my favorites did an incredible Kazar series with Zach Thompson last year that has to be seen to believe. It's so good. It was really pretty. Uh, it's wild to see him in 1998 when he's like fresh. Yeah. Uh, but they do one story about Master Mold, or not Master Mold, excuse me, uh, Master Man, who's Nazi Superman that Captain America can fight during World War II when mm -hmm. he can't fight Red Skull. Yeah, and now he's sort of an old, balding, decrepit guy looking to find a shred of... He wants he wants redemption. He would like... He would like to wash away the sins that he committed. And he was the Nazi Superman, so he committed several. Yeah, and Cable is pretty blunt in being like, yeah, we don't really want your help. And he's like, look, I'm going to help you anyway. He's like, I know I'm a bad guy, but I'm going to at least try and do something good. And I believe he dies in this story. He does. He Helping he, them out. He dies taking a bullet for Cable. And the story itself leaves it up to the reader to decide, you know, at what level is, you know, redemption worth it. I like what Casey is doing because he's not trying to, like, say hard answers or anything. He's saying, this is a bad guy who also did a good thing. 
What do you do with that? And I think that's an interesting concept for it. I don't know how well in execution it works because the bad guy is super Nazi Superman. Yeah, uh, the, the, I believe that one dialogue block is somewhere along the lines of like, you know, tried to redeem himself and almost did it. And it's like, well, no, he didn't. <laughs> he would never have been able to redeem himself. Hey, Adam, you know who else is in this story? Uh, Paladin is in this for a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, screw Paladin. I was thinking of Chavere. Oh, yep, Chavere, uh, because Chavere... from Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix gets sent back in time mm-hmm. by Mother Ascani and says, hey, you're going to help out uh, build up uh, the apocalypse, or not the apocalypse, excuse me, the cable religion that we're doing, the believers of Clay right. Ascani? Well, that's the other thing. There's all of this stuff that's being planted here that Cable has all of these followers, these believers across the planet. And and Master Man is apparently one of these people um, who, who believes in Cable as like the great hope against Apocalypse. Um, so the Shiver stuff, I think, adds this dimension of... I love time travel stuff like this, but it adds a whole nother dimension to the mythology of Cable's timeline that I think is really fun because, because he's is... out there hanging out with Shaw and Pierce and guiding them to uh, the apocalypse harbinger at the same time that they're like, you don't serve our purpose anymore. We're going to kill you. They say that like 50 times. It's it's interesting. I don't want to try and place it on Shaver's personal timeline because it's obviously a younger Shaver. Which right. adds a weird thing about how he became one of Apocalypse's like higher ups later in all of this. I don't I haven't read Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix or Ascani Sun recent enough to tell you anything actually about that. What I can tell you is that this just ends up being a really fun, really beautiful story that has a lot of stakes, a lot of action, and a good amount of heart to it. Like I feel like both Robinson and Casey are writing to Ladron's strengths. Mm-hmm. like something clicks and it Absolutely. works very well. I think this is a fabulous run of cable and a great opening uh, gambit for these guys. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I like the action. I like the globe trotting. I think the in- introduction of Meriwether is, uh, is a good one because she's an outsider looking in on all of this and going, what is this? This is crazy. Um, but it all builds the cable mythology. Like I was just talking about to the point where the last couple pages of this are a really beautifully drawn apocalypse Caliban and Ozymandias standing by the, the uh, great pyramids sort of going, Oh, it's on now. (laughs) And even though this never really builds to anything like, you know, the, the, the final conflict of this, I think is that very ill-conceived Liefeld issue where they just fight with, with the spear. It's, it feels important here. It does feel important here. And I like it here. Uh, I also like our X-Men stories that we rank on our big old list of all the X-Men stories of all time from best to worst. Yeah. Uh, that's what we do every week mm-hmm. uh, with the best story of all time being the house of X and the powers of 10, the hundredth best story being X-Men Alpha Flight, the 200th best story being Crosstime Capers from X-Men Blues, uh, the 300th best story being Longshot, uh, 400 being X-Campus, 500 NYX No Way Home, number 600 on our list, 
is, of course, Adam. You know it. You love it. It's failings Covenant Life Signs. <laughs> uh, and at the bottom of our list, at the 675th position, buddy, you know it's the Draco? Always. Always, always. I enjoyed so, this quite a bit. Um, I did, too. We have uh, Cable 64, Twas the Night Before Dying, which is another Ladron mm-hmm. uh, issue. I think this is better than that by a lot, actually. And what, where is that on the list? I... 267. Yeah, I was going to go higher than that. I think this is fun. Um... This isn't better than Cable Past Fears at number 51, which rules. Yeah. Um... I oh, shoot. Speaking of Cable Past Fears, did you see Herman Peralta finally got a good book? He's on Black Panther now. Oh, get out. Oh, that's finally. perfect. They've been nice. They've been, they've been hiding Herman Peralta in terrible Peter David Hulk miniseries. Oh no one God. cares about what's what's his bad Hulk's name? The Maestro. Uh, the Maestro, yeah, not 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 great. <laughs> Listen, I get it. It's fine. Uh, I think it's. I don't think it's as good as that. I kind of do think it's better than Cable waiting for the end of the world at ninety nine. Cable waiting for the end of the world. We ranked this one early in the podcast, Adam. Yeah, that's kind of a interesting one. That's the one where Cable raises hope, and then there's the bugs that are the president of the United States. Oh, you know what? Yeah. That that is pretty good, though. That is pretty good. I don't, I don't know. Um, this looks so much better than that, though. You know, this the looks the art is better. Yes, the story I think is on par with that. Um, see, I. That's probably ranked too high because <laughs> now I'm looking listen, like listen, I don't think this listen. is as good as the New Mutants uh, volume four, the Hickman it's, stuff at one oh two. Probably ranked too high in general. Yeah. Maybe maybe we talk about that in whatever we do in the future at some <laughs> point. The infamous episode. Uh but I do think it's on par with something like Wolverine Dupe at one oh eight or sure. uh, Empire Axman at one eleven. Like I think I think this is a good neighborhood. Yeah, I don't. All right, so you just highlighted Executioner's Song at one oh nine. I don't know if I would put this ahead of that, but I think that it's probably on par with uh, X Force nineteen to twenty four Assault on Gray Malkin at one ten. Yeah, let's uh, let's make it our new one ten, buddy. Perfect. All right, that's great. Hey, you did a good one, everybody. <laughs> yeah, and just staying in this vein we are going to move from the hellfire hunt to um another arc which is what is this one called does this oh it's called the nemesis contract yes the nemesis contract and this one is fascinating because cable's villains in this story are shield yeah it's it's a cable versus shield story which kind of makes sense because you know who was running Shield for a while right before this? GW Bridge, who factors into this story. Fun, fun fact: somebody not too long ago, within the last month, mentioned something about GWB, like and... the George, George Washington Bridge. No, they were talking about George W. Bush. I did think they were oh. talking about GW Bridge, the X Men character. <laughs> I was like, when did he? When did he like invade Iraq? I don't remember that. <laughs> Who threw a shoe at GW Bridge? Um, I actually think that happened during that time in Cable Blood and Metal when him and Cable kind of did a bit. There of- you go. That was in Iran. <laughs> that was different. 
Uh, well, the, we mentioned the Kirby influence before, but this one, Ladron has, has gone even further down the Kirby, uh, you know, rabbit hole here because like there are certain parts of this where the inking especially because ladrone uh is being inked here by juan flabco i think uh, that's Vlabko? juan velasquez i'm just looking away it's credited in the in the issue but it's it's juan velasquez i mean that's listen again that's I, what that i believe marvel, you that's what that marvel wikipedia tells me all right cool I'm just, that's how it's credited in the first issue. I'm sorry to Juan. Um, but there's definitely that like heavy, chunky, like black angular inking going on here that we often see in Jack Kirby's work. And it looks fantastic um, because what we have here is Agent 18, a brand new secret agent who is brought off of his, uh, his safari, <laughs> basically to go kill Cable. And it's, it's sort of like alpha male fist fight throughout this whole thing. Yep. <laughs> and the thing is, it rules. Hey, wait, hold on. Oh, Adam, we have seen him before. We've seen Agent 18 before? We've seen Agent 18 before. Oh, okay. Where has he you been? Adam. Oh, this has... Hold on. I'm going to keep you in suspense. Are we, are we saying we've seen him on the show before, or are we, we saying... We have seen him on this show before, yes. Interesting. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Don't look it up. Okay, I'm not... I didn't realize this was connected, because why would I remember this random S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? Uh, hmm. He's he's messing with Cable. He's hunting Cable, uh, because they want to get the transmode virus from him to make some make some really cool shield robots that uh that look like all the howling commandos well what's what's hilarious about this is that they have transformed 10 living shield agents into these sort of like robot super soldiers and they're going to infect them with the with the virus and the resulting effect is that all of them die except for four and the four that live take on the appearance of the original Howling Commandos with Nick Fury, Dum Dum, and uh, the other two guys whose names escape me. One, it's the French guy and yeah. one of the other ones. Right. Listen, I'm not a Howling Commandos guy. I couldn't eh, tell you. That's okay. I'm not, not. You don't need to be an expert on that. It's anyway, Dum Dum and the others. Yes. It's Nick Fury, Dum Dum, and their friends. <laughs> so to get Cable, uh, Agent 18 starts by attacking him with Zap, which is a lightning based like a. Um, Zax, excuse me, it's Z-Z-Z-A-X, Zax, which really, that that feels like a Silver Age fun thing, which I think is It's Bronze Age, but I'll I'll, I'll allow it. That's a a Steve Englehart, baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's, you know, Kirby Crackle all around until Agent 18 is showing up with his own giant shield guns. It's just ridiculous. Um, And you know, do you know who's not happy about this? uh, GW Bridge is not happy about this, and Cable is not happy about this. And did we mention that Cable's like powers are on the fritz in this arc? I don't think we mentioned that. That's because of Cywar, right? Uh, Yeah, Cywar happened, I guess, elsewhere, and Blacksmith is here now. Yeah, it happened in X Men. Blacksmith showed up previously in this, but yeah. Uh, Cywar happens, so Cable, for part of this arc, doesn't have his psychic powers. He gets them back. It's convenient. He gets them back at just the right time. He does get them back just at the right time. <laughs> Everyone's upset about this. 
GW Bridge is mad because Nick Fury uh, had him reassigned to be a spy in the Washington Bureau. And it turns out Nick Fury also very mad about his likeness being used for a killer robot. Very funny because Nick Fury notoriously makes killer robots of himself. (laughs) Yes, Mr. LMD himself. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, Agent 18 is pissed because like there's rival shield uh, groups going after Cable and he wants to be the one person who hunts him down. GW Bridge feels like he's gotten put onto a desk job and doesn't really understand that he's there to be counterintelligence. And to the point where Cable actually does get captured by shield um, so that they can use the trans mode on these uh, super soldiers, these nemesis soldiers and agent 18 breaks him out just so that he can kick his butt again. <laughs> Very good. Listen, that is the kind of homoerotic drama that I want. I want a guy who is so obsessed with another guy that he will literally break him out of like post global prison just to kick his ass. That is good, and more comics should be like that. This last issue is just spectacular. Uh, You know, like, it is nonstop action throughout. You've got the helicarrier getting sunk. You've got these nemesis super soldiers coming out of the woodwork. uh, Nick Fury shows up to try and tame the situation, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Cable and Agent 18 are going at it. I mean, the sound effects alone, the, there is such cool lettering throughout this. Um, and I, who's the letter on this? Oh, it's Comicraft. Um, yeah, no, it's Richard Starkings from Comicraft. Yeah. He's doing a great job. Really great job on this, you know? And like the whole thing screams amazing classic Silver Age content. Like, But it's, it's 1998! Yeah. And you can, you can still see those um, overly detailed sort of electronics and background things that we were talking about early on that's still here um but the stylization of the faces the muscles this is like everybody is just a giant gigantic i don't know like they're all just they're a a slab of jack kirby character that's what they are ladrone ladrone knows what we want but there is this one page that is just cable jumping out of the helicarrier into the ocean. It's amazing. I mean, is he doing the, is he doing the Jack Kirby hands on that one? Like the palms just straight out and like, yeah, ah. he's, he's really tiny and the helicarrier is really huge. And you can see this bridge in the background and there's all these explosions. And then there's just this little tiny splash and it says sploosh. <laughs> it's great. This also has like a really dark, sinister like kind of silver agey ending too which i really like because agent 18 is defeated and is kind of put into like iron lung status yep so adam that's very important for where we find jack truman next oh man i'm so curious now do you remember the rise of (gasps) mtech oh my god is he the guy He's the new Deathlock. He's, He's the, the new, new Deathlock. Death oh, he becomes man. the new Deathlock because of this. That's such a shame. This character rocks, and that like when he comes back, we just talked about that story. We did. It's not a good story. No. Uh, yeah, and that's then, a shame. Yeah. Then his mind is swapped into the body of another Shield agent named Larry Young. Uh, eventually, 
I don't know when that happens. I did not read Deathlock Volume Three. Hmm. Yeah, may, I don't know. I maybe that does it some justice, but that thing we read was not good. Uh, this this is great, and I think this might actually be better than the Hellfire Hunt. What do you think? Here's here's where I am stuck, Adam, and it's a. I think this is a very me kind of thing. I think these both have equal amounts of good nonsense. The Hellfire Hunt has a lot of X-Men nonsense, and the Nemesis Contract has a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. nonsense, and I don't run a S.H.I.E.L.D. ranking podcast. And that's my <laughs> that's my personal challenge here. I will agree. I think the Hellfire stuff in the other uh, uh, arc that we talked about does make it the better story. This one's probably even more action-packed, but you're right. It's much more S.H.I.E.L.D.-based. Um but like, I, I still think I think we're in the right spot. I think this is better than Messiah War at 115. Yeah, I do too. Um I don't know. X-Force Volume 3 1 to 6 is Spurrier. No, 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 no. That's the time that Rain Sinclair got a lot of heroin done to her and ate her dad because she thought he was oh, an angel. Right. Yes. Um I think I would put this ahead of that. I don't think this is as good as Empire X-Men, though. No. Well, maybe I we'll... think Empire X-Men hits just a little bit more zany fun for me. Yes. All right. Um, so that's our new 113. Um, you're definitely going to want to check that one out. And we have one last Cable Ladron story. And uh, this one comes I, as part of the flashback series. This was a negative one issue. Yeah, it's Cable Negative Run, one by James Robinson and Jose Ladron. Uh, Joe Casey wrote the the shield one, if we didn't say that. I don't know. Yeah, and if you are looking for the issue we're about to talk about on Marvel Unlimited, it is listed as issue zero. Because uh, they're dumb and they're wrong. They're yes. wrong and dumb. <laughs> um, Adam, this is a story about when Cable first, the first time ever, comes into... Uh, comes into our timeline after after being in the Iskotic Sun future. It's the first time he comes back. Sure it is. Okay. <laughs> it's not the first time sequentially in our timeline that he comes back, but this is the first time he comes back when he is Ascani Sunny. Well, okay. Here's why this issue is interesting. is because back in New Mutants, there were there at least was one interaction between Moira and Cable where it indicated uh, Moira X, the robot. No, this was during, this was pre Moira, Moira, ugh, Moir, Moir Island. Muir? Muir Muir. Island? Why am I saying it weird? Adam, Adam, I was, I was joking. Moira X, Moira X <laughs> is a very recent addition. To I know. I know. So anyway, there is that that interaction where it, it is uh, said that they knew each other. Now, they never really explain that. And yet this is the issue that uh, I guess explains it. So after a very awkward uh, Stanley introduction, because those were in every issue. On every issue. It does have you have Stanley drawn like a cable by Jose Ladron. And that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, to a little. I, I don't know. I think it's stupid, but. It's um, it's stupid. Here's here's what they did. Do you know why they did the flashbacks all with that? I I don't remember why they did that. Somebody thought it was funny one time that uh 
Chris Batchelor did that in Generation X, and they decided to frame everything like that. Oh, see, I just assumed that was part of the quote unquote event. That was no, that was they all just years before. That was like ninety five, I think. See, so they just copied off of of the great Chris. So uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Chris did one of these flashback issues. They just took the idea of like making a cartoon Stan Lee and ran with it. That's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> they were just like, yeah, Stanley. Stanley always introduces our books. Let's have him keep introducing our books. Oh boy. Well, um, what's what is fun about this issue is that you mentioned Cable comes back Terminator style. Um, he has like super long hair. He doesn't actually speak English. No, he um, he speaks the Iskani tongue. Right, right. And they plop him down <laughs> amongst Moira Rain. Angus McWhorter. Yes! Uh, <laughs> Angus McWhorter is here. Angus McWhorter, the guy that, that <laughs> the guy that sold a boat to the X-Men once. And buddy, you just rented a boat to the X-Men. Kiss that baby goodbye. <laughs> Reverend Craig is a good good punisher reference there. Um Oh buddy. <laughs> it's it's in the top five Punisher covers. Punisher covers might be the best covers of all time. Like 80s to 90s Punisher covers when they said Punisher can be dumb. Yeah. And not just like, I'm the Punisher. Yeah. When they can be like, yeah, Punisher can, Punisher's kind of stupid. Let's run with that. <laughs> we'll when, allow it. <laughs> you've seen the Maternity War cover, right? Yeah. The one that was hanging in my room for years of the Punisher juggling babies while yep. shooting a gun. And then the corner box is a baby in an oversized Punisher shirt with an Uzi. It's like, <laughs> Does the Punisher symbolically have some issues and is gun violence an issue in our country? Absolutely. No one's disagreeing. Very funny use of the Punisher. Marvel Comics and in the 90s. Can Great job, fun. guys. He can be fun. Uh, so Reverend Craig is here. He is convinced that this, uh, this sudden appearance of this stranger is, of course, uh, a sign of Satan. Moira is basically like, well, what if he's an angel? <laughs> Which I love. And Reverend Craig is like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should like. Cable, Cable's like. Mind control. Get out of here. You're not dealing with this anymore. This is ridiculous. I don't I don't like this man. And that's pretty much all that happens. I mean, it's a very short story. They do bring Cable back to Moyer Island. I said it again. Muir. Muir Island. Muir Island. Muir. Muir yeah. Island. And they yeah. hook him up. They hook him up to some machines. There is a absolutely stunning two-page spread. Showing oh cable gosh. in the middle of war, and it's against like, the Canaanites. Yes, oh, it's so good. And everybody's got spears, and there's Kirby crackle everywhere. It's so cool. And you know the the electricity on Moira's machine goes crackles pop, and she's basically like, okay, well, uh, I guess I guess you should get out of here. And he just disappears. Right? What happens at the end of this? Oh no, he yeah. learns to speak English from Moira. He uses telepathy to figure oh, out English disappear. as the X-Men do. Yeah, no, he, he just like he's like, I'm cable now. I'm gonna hang out. Probably yeah. gonna cut my hair. Um the other cool thing that we get here is uh, a little cameo from Apocalypse, who wakes up early, as he always does, from his because regeneration. He cable. And he's like, Oh, grumble, grumble. Why'd my alarm clock go off early? <laughs> I am not ready to test the earth. <laughs> Against the demon horde that my wife and children are holding back in Amanth. As we all know, is exactly my motivation. Um, but it's, 
He's Every basically apocalypse like, I, interaction I, is better when you think about how yes. Apocalypse is defo just trying to uh, get back to his wife and children <laughs> who are stopping a demon horde. Well, that's what's great about this issue. Um, you know, you look back on it and uh, you think about the Moira X stuff. You think about Apocalypse and Tennis. The Moira X part of this is fun to think about because now this guy comes up. She's not she's not met Cable before. Let's just assume. Right. That, in her previous nine lives, she's not had to deal with a cable situation. So she's sitting here like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's figure out this one. Yeah. He's, he's a robot guy. That can't be good. Uh, the other thing I, I absolutely love is that uh, kid rain is here. So it is very quickly uh, described towards the end of this, that um, at some point cable just erased his, her memory. <laughs> so, like that's gotta be an editor's note, right? <laughs> They're like, they're like, James, I know you don't remember this because it was weird. Rain and Cable, they were in the New Mutants. He locked her in a closet once when she thought she was a princess in like Scotland or a fairyland or something. It's just, they do, they have, they can't have met each other before then. So can you just, oh, he's a telepath. Perfect. He's got an erase button. Leaves it for Moira, which I think is fun. He's like, you, you can remember me. You? Yes. Little one? I don't think so. I, don't think, I never want to see you again. I'm going to kick you off my team and replace you with a mean cat lady. <laughs> oh, man. So stupid. Um, so, like, continuity-wise, I think this is kind of fun. I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense, but I don't really care. It's it's fun to look at. Um, it's so pretty. It's yeah. so pretty. Yeah. I would call this around on par with the Hickman Giant Size X-Men at 127. See, this one doesn't have like as much going on as the you other two. It's I it's beautiful. That spread. It's that one spread. It's it, it is, but like, and I don't know. I don't think it's as good as the, like Inferno at one thirty. Uh, is I mean, it as good as Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix? Yeah, I think it's probably around there. Yeah, but this is probably better than X Men number eight. That time that Unis the Untouchable tried to touch a cake and couldn't. I don't know. Is it though? Like, I want to make sure that it's we're like not right there. Here's, here's what oh, I want okay. to say. No, this isn't as good as Demon at 159. Like, I want to make sure we're not riding too high on the Ladrone thing here because those first two stories were freaking awesome. But, like, I'm looking down at 175. I think Cable, Blood, and Metal is better than this. Fine. But is Adventures versus X-Men better than this? I would argue no. No, I think this is more fun than that. But I think we're probably in a better spot on the list here. You probably. Know? Probably. Um, I don't think this is better. Now that I'm looking, I think the Tamaki Cabal uh, X23 uh, 1 through 5 is better than this. Mm-hmm. But I would maybe put- not Amazing X Men 1 through 5, The Quest for Nightcrawler, a story that is just too long. Yeah, I think this could be our new 179. Hey, you know what? Jose Ladron, good showing. Folks, if you want to talk about more of the Joe Casey Jose Ladron run of cable, I mean, don't tempt us with a good time. (laughs) I'd love to keep talking about it. It is really fun visually. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think has just kind of fallen into obscurity. I don't think it's the the kind of art style that people associate with this character. So especially um, not 1998. Folks, go. If if you have if Cable hasn't won you over before, check this one out. Yeah. Try this Cable. Yeah, try this uh, this this flavor. It is pretty awesome. 
so who do we have to thank again for uh, Ladrone Cable stuff? Oh, that's absolutely Graham Hayward. Uh, if you want to be like Graham, patreon.com slash comicsxf. Adam, what do you got going on this week? Um, Austin, Gorton, and I went and reviewed the uh, 30th anniversary of the Uncanny X-Men Jim Lee trading cards. There's a new book out uh, from Abrams Books that reprints the cards, has an introduction by Bob Budiansky of Transformers fame, um, has, you know, some notes from Paul Mounts and uh, Tom Brevoort. And we kind of went through the book and, and looked at its pros and its cons. And uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, but I, I highly invite anybody who's thinking about buying it to just take a look at our review. And that's on Comics XF. Uh, folks can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy And Zach, what do you got going on? Um, nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, what are Hon- we doing? Honestly, I got nothing going on, folks. I'm a busy man. You, you are a busy talk man. Talk to me about the state of the electric motor industry, specifically around the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration units, or how we believe that the uh, what's it called that the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever is going to have a significant impact on the mix of. Uh, different air conditioning and heating options, largely by driving residential and commercial buildings away from uh, natural gas burning furnaces and into more heat pump applications, especially Hmm. with the announcement recently uh, that Aon just had about having a heat pump that can work at a zero ambient. Fantastic news for the future of green energy and the future of people who sell electric motors for the HVAC and refrigeration industry. Great Frankly, great week for me. <laughs> I am and by great week for me. I mean, great week for me in my sales in maybe eight years. I know our listeners are always tuning in for this uh, HVAC content. So folks, uh, it's pretty get exciting. ready next year when we record live from the Ashray uh, show floor. <laughs> One that I, I kid you not, it makes C2E2 look like a joke. I have been to Ashray multiple times in the McCormick Center. And C2E2 can't hold a candle to the crowds or the equipment there, some of the displays. I'm telling you, everybody's going to get into it. What are we doing you next week? You can't get great. The problem with the Ashray shows, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. Yeah. You really just can't get great, high-quality, custom HVAC equipment like you can get an artist alley. <laughs> you can't commission yourself a mini split on the show floor. And that's disappointing, I think. Yeah, we should really have some machinists uh, just just grinding stuff out there. Oh, one more thing, one more thing. Instead of Artist Alley, do you know what they do have, though? Because it's what the is... same size booths and everything and density. No, what do they have? They have Chinese knockoff alley. That's really funny. It's li- it's just a bunch of Chinese <laughs> manufacturers that have, yo, know, they, they steal everything. Wow. Which is also not unlike... A regular comic convention exhibitors, Can be. except for these these people are stealing like valves and technology mm. and compressors, and it's like, okay, j- check their name tag. If you don't recognize the company, maybe don't maybe discourage them from taking pictures of our product. That's all. <laughs> oh boy, I bet our listeners are learning a lot right now. Folks, uh, I know you come here for the HVAC content. <laughs> what are we doing next week, Zach? Next week, we are talking about weird stories from 1989. 
Ooh. That's our theme. That's what we, we, we forced ourselves into 1989 and that's it. And we have a very interesting one that you're going to want to tune in for. In fact, I think this may be the most obscure story we've ever covered. Spoiler alert. It's never been published. Ooh, I'm excited about this one. Actually. I had it. I've had it on my list of, we got to find a way to fit this in. That's why the episode is only themed around something as vague as weird stories from 1989. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. But until then folks, this has been Bally Adam, and we hope you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you over there, survive the experience. Get it!